0: Oh dear. Hey guys, and welcome to the Coffee and Coding Podcast, the show where we discuss everything there is to know about app development. I'm your host Rob J, and in today's episode, I speak with mobile development course creator, YouTuber, and podcast host, Mitch Tabian. We talk about his journey to becoming a successful YouTuber, how he teaches people to code, how he creates his content, why he doesn't host his courses on Udemy, his thoughts on Flutter versus Native, why he prefers course creation over freelancing, and much, much more. Now, on to the show. So before we get into my conversation with Mitch, I just wanted to give you all a quick behind the scenes for this episode. So I normally record my podcast with Zoom, which, you know, Zoom isn't great for audio quality, but it's familiar. So that's what I've been going with but I know there's other tools that record in much better audio quality. So I decided to give one of them a go. And the one I went for is Squadcast. So this was my first time using it. So I spent maybe like 25 minutes before kind of getting familiar with it, getting my camera set up, getting my mic set up. But it turns out that it's actually pretty straightforward. I think I was expecting it to be more complicated than it was. And so this is where all the fun starts. So Mitch joins and he's got no sound and he's got no video. And then suddenly his sound comes back and I can hear him, but he still has no video. So he leaves the call and then he comes back and now his video is just a blue screen. So he leaves the call and he comes back and now his video is just a gray screen. And eventually we got it all figured out and we started the interview. So we were not off to the best start, let's say. And then 20 minutes into the interview, my laptop decides to go in standby during the conversation because it turns out that when you're using Squadcast, the little notification that normally pops up saying your laptop is about to go in standby because of inactivity Doesn't show up while you're using Squadcast. So that was fun. So I managed to get back into the call, picked up the conversation where we left off. And then about 20 minutes later, it happened again. So, you know, that was a lot of fun. But aside from that, which I'm hoping none of you will be able to tell because of my amazing editing skills, I would highly recommend after you've listened to this or before or whenever you want, really go and check out Mitch's YouTube channel. He's got a ton of content on there. He's got some really interesting stuff. We get into Flutter in this episode and what his thoughts on it are. But he's also done a really good video on YouTube discussing his experience with Flutter and how he found it. And there's a link to that in the show notes. So I'd highly recommend you go and check it out. The second thing I want to mention before we get into today's episode is there is now a coffee and coding Slack channel. So if any of you out there want to talk to me directly or want to talk to each other, if you have ideas about the, the podcast and topics that you'd like me to talk about or get guests on to talk about, or really anything you want to discuss mobile development related, or if you just want to have a, a geeky chat with like-minded developers, then I would highly recommend you join the Slack channel. And whoever gets there first, you'll be very lucky, because right now it's just me and the channel. So, you know, that might be a plus, that might be a turn off. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sway you either way. So if people are interested, and I assume most of you are familiar with Slack, then I would highly recommend you check that out also. And you can find a link to the Slack channel at coffeeencodingpod.com forward slash Slack. Now, onto the show. This is this is how we record things.
1: No, not usually. See, that's <laughs> what I mean. Like, I wasn't really prepared for video. I would have moved my desk over here, and then it wouldn't have looked like a dirty old kitchen. But
0: I mean, you can't see the setup they have now. But where I am right now, this is my dining table with a laptop tray on top of it, so that I can stand <laughs> up at my laptop.
1: Oh, perfect. Maybe I'll stand. Maybe I'll. All right, we're going up.
0: Yeah, see, this is unfair because you have an actual standing (laughs) desk.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. It's, uh, I highly, highly recommend. Yeah, for like, like just guys who sit all day, like just being able to stand for like, you know, a little bit is very nice.
0: I mean, this was a game changer for me and I'm, I'm kind of a little bit attached to it now. So it's going to be a shame when my $20 laptop tray breaks and I actually have to get a standing desk.
1: No, it's not going to be a shame. Then you have an excuse to, you know, spend the, spend the money and get the desk.
0: So you're saying I should break it on purpose?
1: Oh, yeah. Why not? <laughs> if, if that's what it takes for you to justify... Improving your life, then yes.
0: Fair point. Fair point. Fair point. All right. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm going to have an accident this evening. (laughs) See how that goes. Yeah. So the first thing is, thank you very much for agreeing to be on the show. And the second thing is, thank you because you probably don't realize this, but I was thinking about it today. And so I, I started, I started thinking about this show like two years ago, and I'm a huge procrastinator. So two years ago for me is a small amount of time. And I messaged you, A few months ago when I was actually going to start it and I was like, do you have any tips and do you want to be on the show? And you gave me some tips and you were like, I'll be on the show if you get to 10 episodes.
1: And yeah, you didn't take long to do that.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, but (laughs) unknown, unknown to you, I'm that kind of person where if you say to me, if you do this thing, then in my head, it's like, well, that's a challenge. And I remember I said to my partner straight away, I was like, I need to do at least 10 episodes. So we finally made it. But yeah, if you hadn't sent that comment, the procrastination might have gone a little bit further. So thank you for that.
1: That's awesome. I'm, I'm happy that that worked out. That, uh, that was, that's like the ideal scenario is that you, you did that. Yeah. No, a hundred
0: percent. And also from, from my side, it also makes you seem, I don't know the right word to put, but like a lot more legit. Cause in my mind, that's the, that's the answer that Gary Vaynerchuk would have gave, which was like, yeah, I'll do your podcast, but you need to prove that you're serious about it first.
1: Yeah. I think it's lo- It's just logical. It's, it's like some random. I mean, I'm not calling you, I'm not calling you like a little kid or anything, but I'm just saying like some random kid comes up to me and is like, bitch, bitch, can you like do this for me? <laughs> I'd, I'd be like, well, I don't know. Do go do it. Like try. And then sure. <laughs> yeah. It's
0: like, let me see what I'm getting into first and then I'll think about it.
1: Yeah. So. Plus you got a great radio voice because you sent me some samples. And I was like, damn, that guy sounds good on radio.
0: I appreciate that. So I've been... Doing a little bit of research leading up to this and I found an interview that you did, I think it was 2016. It was on YouTube and it was on someone's podcast. I think it was called like the Su- the Simple Programmer Podcast or something. Oh yeah, with John. Yeah, so so I got I got some information there. But I kind of like before we get into Your YouTube channel and the online courses that you're doing and the blog and the podcast and all that kind of stuff. I kind of just wanted to get a little bit of backstory for the listeners and for myself as well about how did you get into programming? Because if I understand it rightly, you did a physics and engineering degree, which is very far off what you're doing now. So kind of, or I guess, how did you get into programming is the first question.
1: Well... Yeah, so I did, I did physics, like I have a bachelor's of science in physics and I also have, uh, an engineering diploma in mechatronics, which is, there's a bit of programming, like not really. It's more like, if you think about like playing around with Arduinos and stuff, that's kind of what it is. It's like hooking uh, up wires, making like servo motor, motor, motors move. I just stuttered all over the place. Can't say motors. And, uh, yeah, stuff like that. So not really much programming, but, uh, I, I took in my undergrad, they required you to take uh, one programming course. I think it was in C++ or I maybe mean, it was two. And when I took that course, I was like, oh, this is cool. I like this. But I never really went anywhere with that. I think it was like my second year in university. I knew nothing about tech. I didn't even have like a YouTube account. I played games. That was the only like tech stuff that I was like really into. Um, you know, my parents were small business owners, basically everybody in my family is like small business owners, like construction. So I didn't know much about school or tech, especially programming, like nothing. So I didn't think when I took that course that I liked it, I didn't think that you could like make money. I thought it was just like some BS computer science thing that like geeks did. And just because they like didn't know what to do. They were like, ah, I like computers. So I'm just take this like computer science thing. So I was like, okay, I don't, I don't see this like going anywhere. So I didn't like pursue it. And then um, I started learning more, <laughs> you know, at that point, I was like, I'm like 23, by the way, too. And I still don't know like these things. So that's like, quite, I'm quite old. And um, yeah, I just started like learning more over time. And by the time I got to my last year of university, I was, uh, like I said, I did physics. I was just like, what the hell am I going to do when I graduate? Like applied physics. There's no like, okay, I'm just going to go to the applied physics jobs and apply there there's nothing specific that you go do. So I started kind of panicking, I guess uh, you would say, I think it was, it was January, December or January. And I was going to graduate in like April. And I was like, shit, what am I going to do? And then, so then I started really researching, like, what do people with physics do? Like, what do you, what do you do? How do you make money? And then I started seeing like, oh, programming, programming seems to be a path that it's pretty common that physics graduates go into. And you can make like, have a good career and make lots of money. And there's lots of jobs. So I was like, okay, guess I'll just learn this. I thought of it as like practical training. Like it was like the physics stuff was like the theoretical stuff that I I I learned in school, but it wasn't like super practical. Like, you, you know, I could solve, I'm a problem solver. That's really what it teaches you to do. And, um, yeah, I was just like, okay, let me just learn something. And I found simple programmer. And then John was like, oh, you should like just start building stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'll do that. (laughs) And I, so I'm literally just like on YouTube trying to learn how to make apps and stuff. And that's, that's like, I spent, because I was so like worried about what I was going to do. I was so like anxious. All I did was like go to school and then program, go to school, program every day for like, from like January till I graduated basically. So it's, it was a lot, even weekends, like all the time. So I learned it pretty quick, I guess. And, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it too. So it was something that I, I think I just picked up pretty quickly. And yeah, that was, that's pretty much how I started learning. And then I got my first job when I graduated in IT. Not, you know, I wasn't doing anything with programming. I was an analyst. So I like. Basically, actually, I mean, I got the job because of the programming stuff that I had done, because I could like, I knew how to talk to them in the interview. Having my physics degree got me the the interview because they were like, oh, so you're a physicist, eh? And they were basically making fun of me. But then in the interview, like they were asking me like techie stuff. And because I had spent like four months programming, I knew like the terminology and I was, and I was like, oh yeah, I want to be a programmer and like blah, 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 blah. And they were like, okay. Yeah, you can do this job and you just kind of, you know, poke around with in the database and like see what's wrong with stuff. I was in support. So it was like an analyst support, support job. And uh, it, the whole time I had that job, I just kept I kept doing the same thing I was doing learning about programming, I go to work, go home. And work on my YouTube channel and program. That's all I did. And because I was trying, I was trying to become a programmer. I didn't like my job wasn't a good job. I was just trying to like increase my skills. And so from, from the January that I mentioned at the beginning of the story, April, I got the job. And then 10 months after that, I was like pretty good. Like I had my YouTube channel. I was in all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's where I quit my job at that point. Cause I was like, let me just try and do this YouTube thing and uh yeah that's that's kind of how it all started okay that's awesome that was a long story
0: no it's good it's good the details is always important and it is kind of um interesting because i did a similar thing where i did a computer science degree but my computer science degree was probably two modules of actual programming and lots of theory and then it was like support. that's like
1: hell that's like that's oh, like it was yeah. terrible,
0: but I also, it didn't help me understand that I liked programming because
1: you don't get to build anything.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's super interesting. So you mentioned your YouTube channel. So at what point between starting to learn programming and your first job, did you actually start the YouTube channel? And also, why did you start a YouTube channel?
1: Yeah. So like I said, when I in the, in January, like I said, I, I, I don't know when I found John probably pretty quickly and he was like, yeah, you should just learn how to program. And by the way, you should probably like, you know, document what you're doing. And I'm like, okay, that seems like a good idea too. So I I pretty much started the YouTube channel almost right away. And I almost knew like, I knew very little when I started the YouTube channel. I think that's actually probably a big reason why I could learn it so quickly is because like, if you think about any time when you've had to learn something, if you, if you have to teach that thing to somebody else, you have to know it like really good. You have to know, like, this is what you're doing. This is why you're doing that thing next step. Now this is why you're doing that thing. These are the things that made you make that choice to do that thing. And you have to like really, really know it. And so having to explain myself on video was like keeping, I don't know, kind of like keeping yourself accountable, I guess. Like you, you knew people were going to watch it. And if you said some shit that made no sense, you know, you're going to get shredded for it for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so would you say you said 10 months in and then YouTube was doing good and you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on this YouTube thing. But up until that point, would you say that everything that you were creating on your channel was like, were you posting everything as you learned it, as you went, or was there a point in between there where you were like, I think if I start posting this content, it's going to do better than, I guess, probably a better question is when did you start becoming a YouTuber?
1: Right, right. Yeah, so like I said, when I started, my intention was not to be be a YouTuber. My intention was to improve my skills and get a job. That was that was my my intention. When I so I I I had been doing it for just over a year the YouTube thing and like I was publishing consistently. I don't know how many videos I had. I wish I wrote it down when I quit my job, but I know I had 700 subscribers when I quit my job, which seems seems stupid. <laughs> like i don't know I, like when you think about it it's it seems very stupid that you'd quit because you're not making any money there's no there's no money and so it just seems stupid like the metric of 700 subscribers and i'm like yeah i'll quit my job that's that seems dumb
0: but that also demonstrates the potential is there right
1: yeah exactly that's what i thought i was like okay let me see i'm i'm, a, I'm releasing like a video a week or a video every two weeks people like them Imagine what I could do with like all of my energy. That was the logic. And I was like, I have nothing tying me down. I don't have, I'm not even married. I was with my girlfriend for, uh, you know, six years at the time. So it's a long time, but not even married. We don't have a kid. We don't own a house. I have no debts. I was like, yeah, this makes sense right now, basically. Um, so when did, when did I become a YouTuber? I think, uh, yeah, I mean, when I quit my job, because at that point I was like, okay, I, I have to, I don't know how I'm going to make money, but definitely I need to be like putting my most effort into this YouTube thing because right now the YouTube thing is the best chance that I'm going to be making money cuz I you know like I said I have no income. I was like, never mind. I had done a freelance project, so I was making some money. But mostly I was like, I need to be successful at this, so YouTube was getting all my attention at that point. So that's when I was starting to be a little bit more conscious of like what videos I was making, what content I was releasing. Not not a lot about, you know, what's going to get the most views because I was always still in the back of my head thinking the most important thing is that I become a really good programmer. Like I you know, I wanted to be a successful YouTuber, but I don't know. To me like being a successful YouTuber, I don't really care about like I do, but I, but I don't really cuz the most important thing to me is like being a really good programmer. Yeah. Like if you could take YouTube away and I was like a good programmer and I could still like build stuff, that I would I would take that over the YouTube for sure.
0: I guess it's one of those stories where the people that don't want it always do well because they don't have that driving force behind them that they have to do well at something. They just enjoy it for the process. So
1: yeah, I always thought of YouTube as yeah, it, it was just part of my my learning process. It was almost like it was free, it's free advertising and it's a audience builder and it's a um what was I going to say a learning tool and yeah, always the most important thing to me was like be the best programmer possible. Okay, so and, and there's
0: a bunch of other things that you do that i want to touch on but if we bring the youtube thing to today is that still the case that you post things that you want to learn and you've learned them and then you talk about them or is it the case now that you know that something is you know people are really interested in flutter or people are really interested in coroutines so I'll make some stuff about coroutines, even though I might already know about coroutines.
1: So this is like, so I, this is, this is like the dance that I have to do constantly because there's like stuff that I want to do. And there's stuff that I know other people want me to do, but I don't want to do. What I usually do is I go back and forth. Like I'll usually indulge myself and go down this pathway of something that I want to build and I'll build, you know, a course on it. Then the next thing that I do, I'll listen to the community and be like, okay, I know you guys want me to do this. So then I'll do that and I'll make like something on that. And then I'll go back to, and then I'll, and I just go, I flip flop back and forth. And there's a couple of advantages, I think, to doing this. Usually, um, I also flip flop between paid course and free course. So usually what I do is I make the thing that I'm indulging myself in. I make that the paid course and the thing, and the thing that I'm indulging the community on. I make that the free course, so most of the people are going to like the free course. usually I make them an easier kind of beginner friendly course too, and then you and then you get people into your ecosystem. they see your stuff, they watch your stuff, they're like this shit's good, okay, let me go look at what else he has and then you look at the paid stuff so not only am I like building the community because I'm doing what people want, but I'm also indulging myself because it's important to do stuff that you like. Otherwise, like you're going to want to kill yourself basically.
0: Well, otherwise you've just created yourself a new job, right? So Yeah.
1: yeah, I'm just trying to please everybody all the time. I'm not really interested and that would just suck. That sounds like a nightmare to me. So, but I I understand that, you know, you got to do both or you probably should do both. Like it's optimal to do both. So I think that's a good way to do it. And not necessarily that even the stuff that I'm indulging myself on is going to be the stuff that doesn't perform well. Usually the stuff that I want to do is the stuff that I think is going to give me the most skills as a programmer. And so usually that uh, people want to know that stuff too. So it's, it's not, usually there's a lot of overlap there. It's not always like Mitch wants to go do some random thing that nobody wants to do. It's usually like, I want to do this thing that I think is going to be valuable to know as a programmer. So that's why I want to do it.
0: That makes sense. And then I suppose if you find it valuable as a programmer, it's going to lend itself to other programmers that will find it valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um. So you mentioned courses. So at what point did you start creating courses? And was that just a natural progression from the YouTube stuff? Or like, what was the reason behind that? And what was your first course?
1: My first course was an SQLite uh, for beginners course. I think it was called SQLite light for beginners 2018 or something like that. And, uh, and that was my first course. And that was my first attempt to make money. That's like, I built my website, I published it on my website and it was like for sale. The But I guess my first course that I made on YouTube was, it was a free one, obviously. What would that have been? I think it was, um, it wasn't the Instagram one, which nobody should ever watch because it's very, very bad. Don't watch that. Please don't I'll,
0: watch that. I'll put links to that in the show notes. Please if you don't,
1: don't <laughs> watch that. Like, just don't. It's so bad. So, so bad.
0: Was Was it the Reddit one? Is, is It might have been the Reddit one. one. It might have been the Reddit one. That, yeah.
1: It might have been the Reddit one or, yeah, it probably actually was the Reddit one. Now I think about. And so so why, why did I make a course is the next question. I don't know. I guess just like random, uh, random videos just like weren't that interesting to make, I thought. And I thought I could make. So if you're, if there's me here trying to learn something, making one-off things is not really helpful. If in order to learn something, like become a better programmer, you have to build like real things. So of course, just I'm like, okay, how do I get better? I, w- I want to build a real thing. Okay. Since I'm building a real thing, I might as well film a course building the real thing. That's pretty much all... The logic that was involved
0: all right so before before we move on a little bit one question just came to mind about the youtube that I wanted to ask you which is what was the recording process like at the start and what is it like now? And the reason that I ask is because I've thought about doing videos and that kind of thing and that's a hurdle I have to get over the same as the podcast. I hate the sound of my voice. So watching myself and video. You have like, a great
1: oh. voice. I don't know. I don't know how you do I'm sure you get a lot of compliments on your voice.
0: I mean, I think it's just one of those things in your head, it sounds different. So when I hear it on audio, I'm just like, oh, that's not what I sound like.
1: I guess, yeah. But But to me, it's
0: just like the whole process of what I imagine it to be I guess because I'm not super psyched about making videos, is a little bit off-putting. So I'm kind of interested in what the initial process for you of making YouTube videos was like, and what is it like now?
1: Yeah, I mean, your your voice is like, I feel like you could be like one of those guys on like an app reading the things that make people go to sleep. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding at all. All right,
0: maybe sure. maybe that'll be my next project.
1: Yeah, like maybe, or you're going to get hired by some company who's going to be like, okay, read these soft things to people <laughs> and we're gonna put people to sleep or something i don't know those things exist all right well
0: um, i'm i'm open to offers if anybody wants to get in contact i'll, I'll, vo- I'll voice over whatever you want
1: um so my recording process uh yeah so i changed yeah that evolved a lot for sure yeah, oh the oh this is funny actually so how i used the very first videos that i ever made this is like so so stupid this is how like dumb I was with like tech stuff and how I didn't know anything about like what was out there. So I, I used to um like my very first videos probably for c- quite a while. I bet you my, my first like f- maybe even 40 videos or something on YouTube was I would I would not I didn't know that you could I didn't know how to edit videos. I didn't know how to like cut videos I didn't know you could cut them and like restart or like cut things out. So I would from start to finish record the entire video without stopping with no stops, nothing. And some of these videos would be like, you know, 15. I think the entire Reddit course was that.
0: Okay. Actually. That's impressive though. If you can do it start to finish with no edits.
1: The, oh, the mental, like, it took so much out of you to do that. <laughs> like, I, I remember recording a video or two and just sitting there being like, oh, God. Like, it takes so much out of you because you have to know, because, I mean, not even just talking and explaining something, you're you're building something on video And talking through it. That's, that's insane. That's stupid. Like, (laughs) that's so stupid. And, and also on top of that, I didn't, I wouldn't have any experience like as a presenter. So I'm just like, it's, it turned out okay. Like it looks okay, but I remember doing it and it was like torture because you have to have it, you have to have it memorized basically. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't know how to edit videos or anything. So I would just record them, you know, one go and the amount of times that I had to restart was like, it was just, horrible what a horrible way to do things i can't believe that i didn't just edit some videos that is so stupid (laughs) so yeah that so obviously my course recording process has evolved since then (laughs) yeah (laughs) um i don't know when i just realized that i could edit videos i don't even remember what my first editing software was because now i use adobe premiere i used camtasia before that uh for like i don't know two years probably i can't remember what i used um what do I use before that? It was, I know it was something really simple. Like it was something you could, you couldn't add any effects to. It was just like cutting basically. But anyway, yeah. So my recording process basically when I started was like memorize what I'm doing and just, you know, slam through it and try to not to make mistakes, which would happen. And that sucked. After that point, I, I realized that I could edit videos. So I started doing that. I can't remember the software, but mostly though still there wasn't a lot of planning it was pretty much just turn on the camera and i knew that the end goal was to build this app and i knew that i'd have to break it up into pieces i didn't know what each piece would be but it was just like okay i'm going to turn on the camera and just like start recording and see how far i get in like 10 minutes or something that was it so again like not a good way to do things because you like not only is it is it hard for me because i have to like just I have to like basically think on the spot like okay now what do I do? Now what do I do? Now what do I do? and, and just like build from there. But it's also not good for the the listeners because number 1 it's not going to be very organized probably. It's going to be like it'll be gradual so that's good like you building an app from start to finish. It it'll have that kind of progression which is good, but you won't have a uh, source code source code like breakpoints. So like now for example I upload all my code to Git and I create a branch for each lecture. So at the end of the lecture, they know exactly what the code should look like and they can easily just select the branch and then boom, they're like, okay, I know exactly what I need. There's none of that. So it's kind of like they just got to follow the progression. So better, but not great. And then I think, I think at that point is when I started using Git. That's when I started to make, do the branches. Cause I, I remember I watched a course on. Uh, lynda.com so udemy it was a google maps course i remember it very well and i watched this guy um david gassner i think his name is i think i'm pretty sure that was his name and he was using the branches the branches technique and i was like this was revolutionary to me i'm like <laughs> oh my god that's so smart he he makes a branch and then you look at the branch at the end of the lecture this guy's a genius and and so then you know started making the branches and then just uh, over time Oh and then I I guess at that point I I started working with Pluralsight. So I, I when I started doing YouTube eventually after probably after 6 months or a year to, after quitting my job I started working for Pluralsight. Some of you might have watched my courses on there. I've got like 10 on there I think. At that point, uh Pluralsight has a very strict criteria for what they want your course to be. Like they have like slides that you have to use, they have specific times each like lecture will be and you can't like stutter or anything while you're recording so because it was so strict there uh, i I wrote a script for the entire thing so these scripts would be like a 100 pages long of like 12 size 12 13 in word like they're huge it would take me you know a week or two to write the script it was crazy And so then I would record the audio and do the video separately. So I would just sit there and I would sit on my on the mic with my my script in front of me, and I would read the entire script. So I have all of my audio bunched up into the lectures. Obviously, naturally, you know the you have the lectures because you're writing the script. So you have like, okay, this lecture I'm saying this and I'm doing this. This lecture I'm saying this and I'm doing this. So it it was like it was like hyper hyper organized, like more organized than you should be, in my opinion. But that was just how Pluralsight made you do it because you had to you had to have every word perfect you couldn't stutter you couldn't like say anything that was not intended to be said um so yeah and then i would i would record the video and uh i would just go through it and then put the the sound on top of the video cut it all up tons of editing I, this is not a good way to do it in my opinion there's no natural feel to it. You can't just like, if something comes into your head while you're teaching it, that's like relevant to the thing that you're teaching, you can't, you can't just all of a sudden be like, Oh yeah, by the way, this might like be useful to you here. Let me like just riff about this and you'll probably find this useful. It's just, you can't do that. And, and also when you're writing scripts, it's, it's just, it's a very unnatural thing. I don't think it's, it's not fun to watch somebody who is teaching like that, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it's also really hard to not make it sound like you're reading a script.
1: Yeah, you can't, basically. It's too perfect. Also, it's very time-consuming. It's like insanely time-consuming because you have to write the script, record the audio, record the video, put them on top of each other, line everything up. It's just like too much work sucks. What I do now is like a hybrid of, of everything kind of. It's, it's like, uh, and this is a, I think in my opinion, this is the best way to record courses. What I do is I, I build something first of all, obviously, and then I get, I get all of the, the branches lined up for like what I want to cover in each lecture. So it's like small manageable pieces. Usually I aim to like, you know, five, 10 minutes a video if I can. And, and then I write out bullet points. So I have like a notepad file and I say like, you know, lecture one, branch one or whatever I call it. And I write bullet points for the things that I'm going to cover. And I, I don't go in any detail because I, I want it to be natural. I only put the bullet points there to remind myself if I'm recording like 50 videos, because you don't remember like in this video when we do this, like just kind of remember to do this. It's just like little points to myself um, to remember to like riff on something if, if or like whatever. That way I just like basically I turn on the camera, I look at the lecture, I'm like, okay, that needs to be done okay, I got the points and then I just do it. And, and it's, it's just like an it's natural, it's fast and it's accurate because you have the branches there telling you what you need, what needs to be covered in what order. And that's, um, yeah, that's, that's generally what I do, what I do now.
0: Okay. Awesome. Um, so I have one more question about the courses before we move on, which was, uh, unless I've got this wrong, all your courses are now on Codingwithmitch.com. So how comes they're not on Udemy or Teachable or any of these other platforms?
1: Yeah, this is kind of like, um, it'd be like another job, really. I, I want to do my own thing. I want to just, I don't want to answer to anybody. I don't want anybody to tell me what my course is worth. I don't want anybody to like randomly post my course for something lower than what I posted it for. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't want to have a boss. I mean, it's like you're giving a piece. Of your business to somebody who's doing nothing really a- and and they they take control over things that let I me mean, why why if i post a course for 20 bucks why can udemy just sell it for like five uh, you know i i get it it's like their sales process but i don't know i just like i just think of why why don't i just build my own website and sell it and then i have everything I so don't it's, know.
0: To- it's it's totally just an ownership and kind of a freedom Things.
1: Yeah, for sure. Ownership and freedom. Um, I'm trying to think of I don't really like Udemy because I know they don't do anything to police their content. Like somebody could go to my website, download all of my videos for a course, publish it on Udemy and Udemy would pay them. There's nothing that they do to police the content. And even if you go up to them and say, hey, this guy stole my course, they, they don't even look into it. They don't it's like they, they don't care. Yeah. So it's number one. I think Udemy is like not a good company because of those things. And then number two is I want a hundred percent freedom and a hundred percent ownership. Because why wouldn't you? Like I, I don't know. If you're a creator creating something, why wouldn't you want to own that thing? Yeah, no, I
0: hundred percent agree. Just most of the places or most of the people that I've seen doing courses, they always have like a, a Udemy or a Teachable presence or all of the platforms. So I was just I was just curious why.
1: I mean, there's an advantage because like, yeah, you're going to probably see a lot more people for, sh- cause it, cause Udemy does the advertising for you, but you, you sacrifice a lot for that. You know, I, I think if, if those people were to put up their own website and have a YouTube channel like I have, they would, they would do way better than what they would do on Udemy. It's just a matter of you have to build the website. You have to like, so you have, you have to have more skills because you have to be able to build the website, manage the website. Manage customer service issues, manage payments, uh, your taxes. You gotta like be able to do all your tax stuff because Udemy probably just gives you a nice little printout. Here you go. If you live in what country we do, like they do, they do everything for you, but you give up a lot for it. I think you give up too much for it.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair enough. And I suppose if you have the the presence that you have online or if somebody builds a presence like how you did it online, then there's no need that like, you don't need to go to Udemy and be like, hey, sit on my course. Yeah, so.
1: I, th- I think if probably most people, they go to Udemy because it's just convenient. That's why. But if they could do it on their own, they would. But it just takes time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just how much time do you want to put in and how much effort do you want to put in versus, and and also I suppose you don't really know the difference that you'd see in terms of conversions and things like that until you actually do it. Yeah. So last, last couple of questions, because I want to be mindful of your time. So the first one is, do you still do freelance work or is coding with Mitch now your full-time gig?
1: I pretty much avoid freelance work at all costs because it's just, it's not worth it. If you look at like the Mental strain, uh, like how much it takes for you to take on a freelance project, and then how much you get paid—that is nowhere even close to like being an independent like content creator. Because like I, I do what I want, basically whenever I want, I take however long I want. It's like a hundred percent freedom, and. If you go to do a freelance project, there's still freedom, of course, but you have deadlines, you have there's lost time in between like interacting with the guy that you're building the thing for. You you have to have something that is like perfect basically. It's just not in my opinion, it's not worth it for me. It maybe would have been like you know, like I said I did some in my first year um because the money the money's good. Like I'm not saying the money's bad, but The money per unit of stress is not worth that for me. I'm not saying the money is bad, of course, like the money can be good, but it's just, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of stress and I, and it's not worth it to me when I could have complete freedom. Also, like, i like to just build like random stuff. I like to, I I like to just build stuff. So I like to go down the rabbit holes whenever I feel like going down the rabbit holes I don't like to you know I don't know it just doesn't seem like it's it's uh it's worth it to me not saying that freelancing is a bad thing. I'm sure lots of people make great money, they have a great career freelancing or even having regular jobs uh I just like to i don't know I like to just be creative and build different stuff and do whatever I feel like doing at that moment in time i guess okay all right perfect that's a that's a great answer, and I forget the exact words that use
0: but stress per unit of work
1: yeah stress per unit of work is nowhere near the stress per unit of work when i'm just like building stuff making videos because to me it just feels like i'm playing around that's what it's like hey i'm just gonna like do this thing i'm gonna try and make an app out of it and uh i don't know total freedom and i don't feel stressed about it i go home happy every day i come to work i'm like cool what am i gonna build today Yeah,
0: no, that's awesome. That's also a great metric. Stress per unit of work. Someone should put that on a (laughs) t-shirt. Or you should put that on a (laughs)
1: t-shirt. I could. I tried selling merch. It didn't really go so well. So I took down my merch store.
0: Okay. I feel feel like this could be a winner. You could just give it a go and see what happens. So the question that I did want to ask and which I forgot, which was, yeah, I guess what are your thoughts on Flutter long-term? Because I see everybody talking about it a lot. You know, Flutter this, Flutter that. You can do this. There's new libraries. You can do this. And the language was created by Google, right? So you feel like at some point it's going to enter the Android ecosystem officially. But what what are your
1: thoughts on it long term? Well, I actually, I made a video, I think like two weeks ago, a week or two ago about like, so what I did, I spent a month on Flutter. I did nothing because this, so remember what I said, I flip flop between like what I want to do and what people want me to do. This is one of the things that people wanted me to do. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'll spend a month on this thing. I don't really want to, but I'll do it. And so I spent only a, a month only on Flutter. All I did was use Flutter, just really like figure out like what I thought of it so I could have like a real opinion on it. And at the end of the day, I thought it was really great. Like it was, it's good for. What it claims it can do, it does really good. It makes it really easy to build UIs. It's easy to use. I picked it up quickly. You know, after a month, I felt very competent with Flutter, for sure. I feel like I could pretty much build any sort of basic app, but but key point there, basic. I talk about this in the video. You know, I, if you are interested in hearing like more about this, I suggest you go to my YouTube channel because I made like a 20 minute video comparing contrast native to Flutter and I, what I, I thought I, about. Yeah,
0: it. I, sorry, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes as well.
1: Yeah, it's, it's good because, you know, it's basically the summary of my month of work on Flutter. But at the end of the day, I think Flutter's great. But you always will have to have it's it's dependent on the community because you have to have plugins being built. There, there's always going to be native features and then Flutter gets built on top of the native features. So unless you have native developers building plugins to incorporate the native features, which are always being like, there's always new stuff be coming out. So you always need native developers to be like, OK, I'm going to make a Flutter plugin for this so that Flutter can use it. And some of the stuff is managed by the, the Flutter team at Google, but not all of it. And there's, there's lots of nuanced situations that come up in app development. So you can't build like a general plugin for services. You can't build a general plugin for like advanced camera usage. You can't build a, you know, you get what I'm saying. So at the end of the day, you always need native. And at the end of the day, what I thought of Flutter was like for me personally, who already knows native, if I'm looking for a solution, because really for me, it's like a cross platform solution. It's like, yeah, the, uh, the reason I would use it is so that I can get an app for Android and iOS. But after spending a month on Flutter, I was like, why wouldn't I have just learned iOS within a month? I would have become pretty competent in iOS development. So at that, if you're already an Android developer, or you're already an iOS developer. I think like, why wouldn't you just go learn the other native language? So, so you're saying your better use of
0: time would be to learn the other one rather than to learn this?
1: That's what I think, in my opinion, from a guy who's an Android developer. But also, I see the perspective of people who are, you know, relatively new to programming, and and they want to like. Take on a freelance project or something like that. Well, then Flutter looks pretty good because you're going to like within a month of like not even really knowing much about programming at all. Probably you can probably build something and you can probably build something for, for Android and iOS. It, I think it has its place, but I, I think, I really think that if you're a new developer or something, you are probably shooting yourself in the foot in the long run because unless Flutter takes off, which that's still up in the air. You don't really know you uh, say you spend five years on flutter and that's the only thing you know at the end of that five years what if flutter goes away you know nothing like you're basically you like you don't have any other knowledge of anything it doesn't get used on servers i know they promote it and they say that oh it's going to be used for web development but like Will it? Yeah. But this is the thing. All of that is, it potentially could be. Yeah. It's all, it's all potentially could
0: be. But unless it's officially, it really would have to be officially supported by Google for Android and I, cause if, if you're just relying on the community at some point, the community, there's going to be a new flutter and it's going to be something else. And now we're all working on this.
1: It's a gamble. Yeah. I mean, it could stick around. It could not. Uh, but uh, what I think is if you want to give yourself the best chance of success in the future for your personal self as a developer, you should be learning things that have proven the test of time already. You know, everybody everybody's sh- on React Native, but how long has it been around for? There's tons of apps that are built in React Native, and it uses a language that is the most sought-after skill in all of programming, JavaScript. So if you learn React Native and suddenly all the React Native jobs go away, guess what? You know, JavaScript, you can go become a web developer. There's backends that are built with node, which is JavaScript. You know, you you have other skills and you have other options. So I don't know that's kind of how I feel about Flutter. It's like, yeah, it's great. And it's honestly, I enjoyed it. It was fun to use and it does what it says it's going to do. But there's a lot of what ifs and there's a lot of like maybes and I don't like that. So like for me, I'm going to stay away from it. Okay. All right so um last two
0: questions and honestly i'm pretty sure i asked this question and the only person that is interested in the answer is me but i still i still ask the question which is um what machine do you use to work on
1: oh i just have a i have a i use pc um not that i have anything against macs i actually like macs i think they're just overpriced i think they're awesome but for you to buy like a powerful mac like the newest mac it's like four thousand dollars or something like it's that's crazy that's insane And you can't even, you can't even play games on these things. Like most, like I play games too. Uh, Like I would call myself a gamer and you can't, like you can play games, but some games don't work. Some games don't work well. There's always like things that you need to do to get the game to work if it's going to work at all. And so it's just for me, it's like, why would I buy one of those? It just seems very so impractical. So anyway, so yeah, I have a Mac or sorry, I have a PC. I just built a new PC actually in November last year. And be- best thing I ever did, if you want another metric here for you, it's like uh, happiness per unit of dollar spent, build yourself a nice computer because it feels good. It feels very nice to have a nice computer. Yeah, I haven't built a PC for a little while, but
0: that's been my experience every time. Like, it, it, To be honest, I feel like it doesn't even matter how much you spend, just the joy of that I built this thing and it actually works and it didn't set fire is amazing. So,
1: Yeah, bu- building it was cool. I mean, it's really simple. There's honestly not much to it. Like you order all the parts and you just pretty much put it together like lego yeah yeah literally yeah <laughs> there's almost i don't know i didn't get a lot of joy out of that but just looking at it it just makes me happy and like <laughs> and it's so powerful i just like i know any game i play it's just going to be like max. super fast max settings i know like the video editing is great because you need a strong gpu to uh edit videos quickly so i don't mean it's great i love it i think building out a nice pc if you're like a gamer or you spend a lot of time on a computer which all of you who are listening definitely spend a lot of time on a computer build yourself a nice computer treat yourself it feels good they're great. And that's, that's probably by
0: far the best answer I've had to that question. Cause almost, well, 99% of them have been Macs. So it's just.
1: Macs are great. Like they are, they're great computers. But yeah, but it's not, it's not fun. It's, it's
0: not, yeah. it's like, oh yeah, I got the 2020 Mac. That's great. But you're like, oh, I built this computer and this is the reason
1: why. And it's fun. And the price, the price. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this computer is. A monster, and it cost me like three thousand dollars Canadian, which is a lot of money. It's not cheap. But to buy it retail, if you could even get that, would be way more expensive as well. Oh yeah, and uh, and and buying a Mac that's equivalent with those specs, you can't even find it. No, you need a mortgage for that. Yeah, <laughs> you need a mortgage for that. Yeah, <laughs> increase your student debt by about forty percent, and then you can <laughs> use it to buy a Mac, and it'll
0: be great. Yeah, that that sounds exactly right. Brilliant. Okay, so last question, which is another one that I ask everyone, and it will be interesting because you've done so many courses and you've learned so much by yourself as well, and you've also worked at least at the start with other people. Which is so. The question is, what separates, in your opinion, an okay developer
1: from a great developer? Uh, the answer that comes to my head is time. I think the amount of time that you spend. I I think very much like becoming a good programmer is just a, it's just a time game it's reps it's like the guy who spends more time will be better (laughs) that's that's pretty much it like there's people who are naturally good obviously but i think at the end of the day you got to put the reps in there's just too there's too much that changes all the time there's too many things to know especially with android development it's like it's so fragmented there's so much stuff that you and and like a lot of it is like really quick answer stuff like how do i do this random thing. How do I change the status bar color? You could go down a rabbit hole for like the different versions and how the way to change that status bar changed. API 21, it changed. 23, it changed. 27, it changed. It's just like all of these little things where if you have just put in the time, you're going to be like, Oh, just do this one line done. Next. I think very much programming is like that. And uh, you know, all of the different tools, all of the different frameworks. Different types of development, web development, app development, whatever, server-side backend stuff. It's just time. You have to know how to do the things. There's just, there's toolkits. You got to know how to use the toolkits. That's mostly it. That's a great answer to that question.
0: So the last, last question, I guess, is then where would you like me to direct people to? Where can they find you online? All that good stuff. Codingwithmitch.com.
1: Or just go to YouTube and look for... If you type my name in Google, Mitch Tabian, you'll find all my stuff. But codingwithmitch.com is generally the spot. That's my website where I publish everything. My I got free stuff on there. I got paid stuff on there. You can go to YouTube. That's obviously all free. I got like over 500 videos, maybe even 600 at this point. I don't know. Uh, you can go to Pluralsight, but I don't really recommend my Pluralsight courses because they're not... They're just like I said, you got to follow like... They put you in a box when you build courses for them and the box sucks and so the courses like the, if you want the quality website, that's where the highest quality stuff is. Also YouTube. There's really no difference between like the quality of the YouTube courses or the quality of the courses on my website. It's just that I happen to make one paid and one free. It's just, it was mostly random. Okay.
0: All right. Perfect.
1: Yeah. Twitter. I like Twitter. Twitter's a great app. I spend a lot of time on Twitter these days. I've been having a good time on there. Follow me on Twitter. I'm sure I'll respond.
0: Okay. Am I, I'll, I'll, I think I'm following you on Twitter, but if I'm not, I will follow you on Twitter. Twitter's awesome. I used, I used to like hate on Twitter. I don't, like, get, I don't get Twitter. I still don't get you, it. You need to spend some time on it. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that I don't get is, so a lot of people are like, you go, on, you go on Twitter and you have conversations. And so I went on Twitter and I started following random people. And then everything in my feed was just filled up with people talking about JavaScript and like Webstar, all stuff that I wasn't interested in. And then now I don't know how to get rid of that. To me, Twitter is what YouTube was to you when you first started and you were recording 40 minute videos without pausing.
1: You just don't know how to operate it. Yeah, I, I, have,
0: I have no idea. Yeah.
1: just time. Gotta spend some time. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Twitter's a good time. I recommend Twitter. I'll stand by Twitter.
0: Big thanks to today's guest, Mitch Tabian. You can find Mitch at codingwithmitch.com on his YouTube channel and on Twitter at Mitch underscore Tabian. As always, you can find everything we talked about in this episode in the show notes. If you like the show, tell a friend and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating. It's much appreciated. And if you really like the show, you can support it with a coffee donation at coffeeandcodingpod.com slash coffee Caffeine is literally what fuels this podcast. If you'd like to connect with like-minded developers, you can do so in our Slack channel, and finally, you can follow me on your favorite social media platform at Rob. You can find all the links to everything I've just said in the show notes or at coffeeencodingpod.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode of the Coffee Encoding Podcast.